So this morning, um, I just want to welcome you. Uh, for those of you that are here um, week in and week out, it's glad to you know, see you and uh, have you back. For those of you that are first time or visiting or new, uh, welcome and thank you for choosing to spend your morning here with us. Uh, my name is, is Pastor Sean. I'm on staff here at the church. I give um, direction to youth ministry, to groups ministry. I give a little bit of oversight to uh, men's ministry, women's ministry. And um, I just actually recently took on um, another role. Um, I have more responsibility now. I am the uh, resident hair designer. Um, <laughs> seriously, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so if you're interested, you can see me after service. Um, I have only one design, though, so just <laughs> a little bit of a paradox there. Right? It, it, a funny story, um, I was putting my four-year-old daughter to nap this past week and uh, she, you know, I get down and, you know, snuggling with her in her bed and um, she, we have this thing, I'll sing her a song and she rubs my head and this one, this one week she actually was, was pulling a little bit on the hair on my chin and she says, you know something, daddy? And, and the minute a four-year-old says, you know something, you usually should pay attention because it's probably pretty, you know, smart or wise. And uh, she says, you, you have more hair on your chin than you do on your head. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. And it's a little, little bit of, uh, you know, paradox getting wisdom from a, from a four-year-old. But, you know, in essence, that's, that's the Christian life, right? We, we live a life of paradox. We live by dying. We come in first by being last, and we gain by giving. And on the surface, it just, it's one of those things where it just doesn't seem to make any sense. But yet, the minute you get below the surface, we realize it makes perfect sense. And so this morning, what I want to do is, is take a little bit of time and expand, expand expound a little bit on um, a little that I shared this, this past uh, Good Friday. And we, we took a, a brief look at, at John 13, and I, I want to spend this morning just kind of expounding a little bit more on that because it is so deep, it is so rich. And my hope is that for those of you, it may be encouraging to continue to do what you're doing, and for others of you, it may serve as a challenge maybe to provoke you to do something that you're not. And so to get everyone kind of on board and kind of right where we, we were and in, in that, you know, up to speed, I guess you could say, with what was shared on Good Friday uh, evening, there's two things that just, I, I kind of repeat it and, and to sum it all up, it's simply this. The most powerful did the most unthinkable. The most powerful did the most unthinkable, yet the most powerful thing Jesus did, we can do. The most powerful thing he did, we can do. So if you would, open your Bibles, chapter 13 of John, and let me pray for the, the rest of our morning. Heavenly Father, we just count it such a blessing that we can be here this morning, Lord. We thank you for, for the privilege of just coming before you, worshiping you, glorifying you, honoring you, Lord. And I pray that's exactly what we do here this morning, the continued time that we have with you and have here with each other, that you would be lifted up, that these words would not be mine, but Lord, they would be yours. 
and that we would just continue to worship you. And so, Lord, we thank you, praise you, give this time to you, and ask your blessing upon it, Jesus. Amen. John chapter 13, as I've I've wrestled with this and struggled with this, I've kind of come around the idea that, you know, I know we we talk about the love chapters in in, in the Corinthians, but I've come around this reality that maybe this is an even better chapter of love. Maybe this section is even better. And what I want to do is actually start, not in the beginning, but I want to go all the way to the very last verse. I want to go to verse 17 and start there. Because as this section comes to a close, Jesus says to his disciples, now that you know these things, now that you know them, you will be blessed. You'll be blessed. I mean, who, who doesn't want to be blessed, right? Who, who, who wouldn't want to receive the blessings of Jesus? And these are his words. These are, these are red letter. He's in the business of wanting to bless, and we should be in the, in the desire of wanting to be, to be blessed by him. And here he's saying, you, you know these things. You will be blessed. It's definite. It's an absolute. You will be. It's not a maybe. It's not a possibly. It's not a could be. It's a, it's a definite. You will be blessed if if it becomes conditional now if you do these things see he's pushing these disciples to the point to where it takes more than just to know something we need to do something and he's saying there's a, there's a blessing, you know, not a, not a conditional blessing of, you know, you do these things and, and you, it's more of these, this, this idea that if you do these things, I'm telling you, the blessings you're going to receive, amazing. You'd be beyond imagination going back to the paradox of our life. And so we jump back to verse, verse 1, and here's what he says. Sets the context a little bit. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end or to the utmost or to the most complete. See, in this moment, he's getting that the intensity of the moment, the intensity of the situation is coming to a climax, and he's feeling it. He's, he's kind of starting to beginning to feel the pressure, and he realizes in this moment, he's about to demonstrate it's another opportunity for him to fully and completely love his disciples in a way that he had not up to this point. All the things that he had done, all the things that he had shown him, all the things that he said to him, this was going to trump them all. And then we get a little bit more, jump to verse 3, that makes it even more of a wowser. Verse 3, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. And then he had come from God and he was returning from God. Here's what, in this moment, In this time, Jesus understands that he is the most powerful. Not in the room, not in the city, not of this world, but of this world, in the universe. He's the most powerful. He can do anything. He can change the circumstance. He can anything. He's the most powerful. Which is why the most powerful does the most unthinkable. When he does and moves to verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, 
and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. I mean, the most powerful is doing the most unthinkable because what he does in this moment is he takes the lowest posture possible. It's not something a servant would do. It's not even something a Jewish slave would do. He's taking the posture of the lowly of lowliest. And these guys, to a certain degree, it even freaked out the disciples because we see what Peter's response was like, like, wait, you're not going to wash my feet, are you? Like, he's, he, there, there's a paradox going on here. But the most powerful does the most unthinkable. And yet, the most powerful thing Jesus did, we can do. Because see, what he's talking about here and what he's showing them here is love. He's loving them, right? Go back to verse 1. He's loving them in the most complete way possible. And it's not the love that ooey-gooey kind of, you know, make you all like weird inside and give knots in the stomach kind of love. It's a love of benevolence. It's the agape love. It's that love of you want to do first for the benefit of somebody else without getting anything in return. It's that kind of love. And that's what he's showing them. And then, and then, he pushes them to a point of where he gets them outside their box. He gets them outside the comfort zone. And it's almost to a point to where this is, as we apply to our lives, should be pushing us outside our comfort zone. Because look at verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am now that I your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You also should wash one another's feet. You should. You should be willing, there should be a willingness on our part to want to one of love, to want to wash. The, 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 the act of washing the feet is the act of willingness to love others, to want to take that step and want to love somebody else. And he's saying, you should do that. And I've set for you an example. In other words, I've given you a pattern, not a one-time thing, not a, you know what, I love that person, I'm done, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. No, he's saying, this is a pattern. I've set for you an example for you to follow over and over and over and over and over again. And that is what and how your life should be defined as we follow him. Is it uncomfortable? Absolutely. But here's what's amazing. He says this, Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Translation, two things here. If it, it, it can seem uncomfortable to love others in a way that he is calling us to love can be very uncomfortable. But if we are not about love as we follow Jesus, what are we about? If at the end of the day, it's not about loving others, then what are we doing? And then he takes it a step further, and basically, contemporary language, the saved are not greater than the Savior. 
saved are not greater than the Savior. If he was willing to take the lowest posture possible to love others, we should be willing to do the same. And so, and like I said, here's the thing. The most powerful did the most unthinkable, and yet we can do what Jesus did. Because, see, the focus isn't on the washing of the feet. The focus is on the love that washed the feet. The focus and the example is not washing the feet, but how he washed the feet, how he loved. It's not washing the feet, it's that he loved them, and how he did it, and with the love that he did it with. And so as I was wrestling with this, I'm kind of going, uh, you know, okay, this is, this is important, you know, really important, and, and how can I wrestle with this question? Every time I do a message, it's like, okay, so what? Why is this important? Why do we need to know this? Why do we need to know that at the end of the day, the most powerful did the most unthinkable, and then the most powerful thing Jesus did, we can do? How is it? And that's love. Why is this so important? You don't need to turn there. But it dawned on me. I don't need to convince you. The scripture convinces us. John would later write in one of his letters in chapter 4. He says this. This answers the so what. Why is this important? Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He would later on, later on down, down in, in, the, in the passage say, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they can see cannot love God for whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love his brother and sister. The importance, the so what, he commands us. He tells us this is what we need to be doing because it's the essence of who he is and the essence of what he's done. And he says to them, I've given you an example. This is what you need to be doing. I need you. If you want to follow me, you really want to love me, you want to say that you're of me, then you need to be loving like me. Students hear me say this every week. I go from the, the so what to the now what. Now what do we do? The application part, if you would. And, and I was wrestling, like, okay, so, so yeah, what, what do we do with this? Like, how, how can we, what do we, so many people, so many things going on, and then it, it, it was as if it got, God kind of went, blink, over the head with me this past week. Ready? Huge revelation for me this week. You're going to love this. You really are. 
touch all people with God's message. How do we love, touch all people with God's message? Because that's what we're called to do. The touch can look so many different ways because we are so many different people in here. But at the end of the day, ultimately, we are touching people with God's message. And what is his message? Love. Pastor Barry loves to tell this story. A couple years ago, he just told it to the elders the other, a couple weeks ago. When we were trying to figure out what our central ministry focus is, and, you know, we were, oh, gather, serve, learn. And he's like, you know, it, you guys saw the rendition of the three, and I'm sure you probably told this story before. But there was actually a fourth one in there. And we told him, no, 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 push that fourth one away. We don't, you know. So it was a three-to-one vote he lost. The fourth one was love. Touch all people with God's message is love. Now, we're not going to put it back in. Because we understood this, and here's the reason why we didn't put it in there. It's the overarching thing that we should all be doing anyway. Love is the central ministry focus that everything flows out of. And so when I was like sitting there going, okay, touching all people with God's message, and I, and I looked at it and said, okay, this, this comes on two levels. Us as a corporate body, us as a church, and then us as individuals. And the reason we need to be doing this is because if you think about it, when we unpack this, it's this. God says, I love you. And I took the first step. He says to the church, I love you, I took the first step. He says to you individually, I love you, and I've taken the first step. And then he does this crazy, unthinkable thing, right? The greatest thing that Jesus did, we can do, he wants us to join us in doing what? Touching all people with God's message? Loving people. Loving them. As a corporate body, what does this look like? It's the who, right? Who do we need to be loving? Simply this those that are all around us. How are we loving our community? How are we influencing the towns around us or the organizations that are in our midst that aren't here? How are we touching them? It's just a rhetorical question. But then we also, on a corporate level, need to be reaching the who who need us. There are tons and tons of organizations that need us. We, we get one awesome opportunity a couple times a year where an organization, Family Promise, comes in and stays right underneath our roof. Can you imagine if touching all people with God's message and loving on them the way that God is calling, to, calling for us in Scripture to do it, if we were to follow the example of love in John chapter 13? You know, can you imagine... If we were like that, can you imagine what it would be like for Scott Millard not to have to worry about making phone calls at the 11th hour to try and fill slots, but instead he was trying to manage a waiting list of people because we were so eager to want to follow his example and love. Imagine what that would be like. Can you imagine what it would be like on an individual level to love those that you bump into every day to influence and to make a difference. It could be something as simple as a word, a hug, a kind gesture, a random act of kindness. Think about the people on an individual level who you bump into every day at work, at home, in the community. 
How can we be loving them? What are the things that we need to be doing to love them? What are the things and who are the people that need us? And don't ever, here's, here's my one encouragement, right? Don't ever, 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 ever underestimate the power of words. My wife says this, not the originator of it, says it all the time to our kids at home. So much, I, I just hear her voice. Your words have power. Your words have power. And the other day, she's in the library with our, with our three kids, the, the, the Randolph Library, and they just went right from there to school because the kids wanted to pick out some videos and books, and she likes to get them to do those kind of things. And there was only two other people in the entire library outside of, outside of the um, librarians. It was this older woman, kind of grandmother, maybe been an older mom with her son, grandson. And sitting in the back, all the way in the back of the kids' section. And the kids writing on something, and, and the woman sitting there watching them, and, and he slides the paper over to the, to the mom, and she looks at the paper and says, this is the worst, worst handwriting I have ever seen you do continues to look over it and go, this is the worst work you have ever done. Folds the paper, crumbles it, rips it in half, puts it in front of him, tells him to get up and walk to the other end of the wing and throw it out. The boy had to get up from the table, walk past my wife, walk past my kids, to throw that out. And my wife looked at that boy and just saw the tears coming down his face. And then the mom ushered him out of the library because she was so frustrated with him. Our words have power. There are so many people around us that are hurting, that need to hear and need to feel and need to see the love of Jesus. There are so many people that we can touch with his message. Never underestimate the power of our words. Here's what I, I would like to do. I, I came across um, this poem. And I, I'd like to share this poem. And as I do, I, I want to leave this question up on the screen for you to, to read. When you have the opportunity, when you have the opportunity, will you love like Jesus? Sometimes we create the opportunity. Sometimes it falls right in our lap. Other times we just need to be more aware and it's sitting right there. But when you have the opportunity, will you love like Jesus? So here's a poem I just wanted to share. I, I thought it was kind of fitting for this morning. It's, it's by this uh, college student um, that, I, that I know of. His name's Kavari Russell. And he's entitled it Perfect Love. Perfect love is giving when you haven't been given. Perfect love is caring when you haven't been cared for. Perfect love is helping when you haven't been helped. Perfect love is accepting 
when you haven't been accepted. Perfect love is loving when you haven't been loved. Perfect love is loving someone who's imperfect perfectly. When you have the opportunity, will you follow the example Jesus has set and touch somebody with his message of love? impact will ring throughout all eternity. And I just think this morning as we celebrate communion, it was love that put Jesus on the cross. It was love that he journeyed and went and gave of himself. And it was love that demonstrated such a unique sacrifice that that night, right after he washes the feet, they celebrate the brokenness of him, of his body. And we celebrate that here this morning with these elements. The sacrifice of him shedding his blood in the juice that we take. It was one of the greatest acts of love ever that not we, that we loved him, but that he loved us. And we celebrate that here with these elements in this moment, in this time.